I'm Tover, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, thank you, Ryan, for asking me to speak only because maybe there's going to be a hurricane. Um, <laughs> Any ladies out there like a fat dad with a second kid on the way that just got fired from his job? <laughs> Um, another round of applause for Ryan. That was an all-time line, by the way, where you said, I fell down the stairs and broke my ankle. I was sober. I was on a shitload of Kratom. <laughs> Show of hands, anybody that doesn't want to be here tonight, honestly. You guys are such fucking liars. <laughs> Three people. <laughs> Show of hands, anybody here high? Liars. <laughs> so Ryan texted me today and he's like, our speaker canceled. I tried everything to get out of it. You know, I know, and I know we say yes in AA, but here's the message that I want to give you tonight is that it's okay to still be selfish and have defects of character, even if you have sober time. I've been sober since December 11, 2012, and my mind is just as sick, if not sicker, than the day that I got physically sober. And there are people that get a little bit of time in here, and they act like not doing the right thing all the time is like their thing now, right? And I see these newcomers come in and they get wound so tight. And then at the first sign of something external happening, they can't handle it, they're gone. And so my message is you have to learn to work with the fact that you're just as selfish and self-centered today as the day you walked in this room, before you walked in this room and you were drinking and using, and before you took the drink or the drug to deal with the fact that you felt that way. And for me, the way that manifests now is Ryan asked me to come speak. I'm convinced my sponsor's behind it because he didn't want to give up his uh, slot here on December 24th when there might actually be a crowd. He didn't want the shitty slot tonight. So without even saying anything, I'm texting him pictures I've photoshopped of the movie Puppet Master with his face on it. Like just <laughs> insane behavior. And uh, I see him at the Canyon Club earlier for the event we're having. And he's like, you're mad at me. Like you have a resentment. And I'm like, no, what do you mean? We're pals. <laughs> right. <laughs> and in my head is the truth. I'm like, I do have a resentment against you because you were going to take me on a vacation to Maui this week and then it burnt down. <laughs> and after that happened, you didn't apologize and offer to take me on another free vacation immediately. <laughs> Even though I threw several hints at you. <laughs> Right. And the, the cool thing today is that I can piece that together 
and be like, it's all good. I'm just selfish and self-centered. I'm just being a baby. Because in the past, and, and forgive my language, but I would motherfuck myself out of these rooms. It would be about what I'm talking about in my head, but I would make it about this complete other thing, this other case I've built. Well, you're this, you're a hypocrite, you're that, right? And, and the truth is we're all those things more times than we like to admit. But if we can get to a place where not only do we accept it, because I heard someone a couple months come up here and their, their pitch was essentially just be okay with yourself, Right. But for me, that's tough because it's devoid of the continuation of the seeking. I can't just accept myself because if I do that, then there's that missing piece where I'm not continuing to strive to be better in my behavior with my defects of character and things like that. Um, I have another uh, uh, a sponsee here. Um, gosh, how long have I known you? Nine years? And uh, he took, yeah, he took 30, 30 days today. That's awesome. Congrats. Seriously. And um, one of the cool things about this process is that um, I, I stay in touch with a lot of people. I'm the type of person that likes to stay in touch with people, whether they're sober or not sober, struggling or not struggling. Like one of the big gifts that I found in here is relationships. And to me, they're number one. Like I prioritize them above all else, probably to the detriment of other areas in my life sometimes. Um, and you'll see, cause I get really resentful when people get a little bit of sober time and all they want to talk about is a job or how much money. I don't really care about any of that stuff. Like money's great. I fucking love it. I need it. I want it. I want all of it. Right. But like I get the game there. And so I'd much rather have relationships with people. I think that's really awesome. It's really fun. I can't believe how many awesome people I've gotten to meet um, through this process. And uh, so when you reached back out to me, I was really excited because I was talking to you before the meeting. And it's just fun to go back and, and look at the messages between you and people that are finally sober now, because before that happens, they send you a bunch of messages where they tell just really cool lies. <laughs> and they're so funny. Like the lies we tell are all, it's all the same shit. Like, you know, the person's high based on what they're posting on Facebook. And you're like, how are you? And they're like, dude, I'm killing it. Like I started a clothing business and you're like, you didn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and I'm just, I'm just glad you're back, you know? And uh, it's funny cause you've made a couple comments to me since you've been back about things you think that I will or won't like in terms of your program or your behavior. And it was just such a cool reminder of really how far I feel like I've come in um, my approach to this thing. And so one of the reasons I was excited to speak tonight is that maybe you get to see a little bit of that because, you know, I had this super militant approach at one point. It's hard not to when you get on fire for this thing, right? I do believe that the truth is in this book. Um, I do believe that, you know, the, the steps and how we work this thing are in the first 164 pages. I also believe that there is an immense amount of value in the pages after and there's also an immense amount of value in the literature that preceded this book um, that we took from to create this program. Um, and I'm not one of these people anymore that thinks if you read something else or you get other help or you go to therapy or you join another program or you're religious, that you're not working pure AA. I think that's just complete nonsense. And to me, it's, again, it speaks to the fact that I'm trying to tell you not to be a seeker. And I say that to say this. Um, 
I really do my best not to tell people what to do anymore um, because in, in a sense, I'm playing God, right? And I want to play God and I still do play God. But I know today that it's not the right thing to do, right? Everybody in here, your job, if you choose to do it, is to form a relationship with a higher power of your understanding so you can do the right thing and stay sober when I don't pick up the phone and when he doesn't pick up the phone and when he doesn't pick up the phone. And I hear newcomers talk about it all the time. They're like, Oh, I got, I got high. I should have called my sponsor. Why? Like at the very best, that person might talk you out of it. Like that time, right? Like they're going to give you their best fucking Tony Robbins. Like you can do this. And you're going to be like, yeah, I don't even want to, right? But like, there's something fundamentally, spiritually not okay if you were at that place in the first place, right? And our program talks about that. When you go back and you talk about Bill being in the lobby at the Mayflower, he doesn't have a sponsor to call. He wants to be of, of help to the new guy. And I have another sponsor here who keeps asking me all these questions about self, like, you know, I can't say it any other way. If you feel like you think about yourself all the time and you have all of this fear and you're consumed with what's going to happen or not going to happen or how that went or how this is going to go, go help somebody. And, and with those people, it's never a coincidence to me that their 10th step at the end of the night tends to be devoid of acts of service. They are correlated, you know? Um, I grew up in, uh, Michigan in, uh, like a small Catholic, uh, boating community. Um, and my parents weren't Catholic and they didn't have a boat and, um, <laughs> it's tough, you know, it's tough being the weird kid of weird hippie parents and like an ultra conservative, uh, town. It really is. And, um, you know, that compounded by the fact that um, my parents didn't have a great marriage and they, they stayed together and I was an only child and, you know, their struggles were apparent and weird things would happen and we would just act like they didn't. Um, and I love that part in um, A Vision for You where it talks about terror, bewilderment, frustration and despair, because I, I, I felt like that way before I ever took a drink. Like I felt so confused all the time and so scared or. I mean, often I really remember like the main feeling I had was just like, why does it seem to go so easy for everybody else? And why does everything seem to be such a struggle for me? Like, even when I do try my hardest and I can look back now and realize that like, it was like that because I was only willing to try my hardest for a little bit to get my way. And if I didn't, then I was like, fuck this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my dream growing up was, to either like be in the NBA or be in the WWE, right? And like, <laughs> I sucked at basketball and I was tiny, you know what I mean? And I was making no effort to get better at either of those things, but I still had that delusional like grandiosity that we had sometimes where I'd be like, well, this was just the part of the story where the character struggles and it all works out. <laughs> and the truth is like, the longer I'm sober and the more that my eyes are open, I'm like, all these people work hard. And that was the thing that was missing. 
you know, and, and, and like I said, just, yeah, weird stuff growing up. I remember in like eighth grade one time, um, my neighbors, like, you got to come home with us today. Um, there's like some stuff going on, uh, with your parents and I'm like super confused and I check my voicemail and there's a voicemail from my dad talking about how he's going to murder my mom. He's like, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to fucking like the whole deal. And I'm like, Oh boy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the story they gave after was like, Oh, your dad had a weird reaction uh, to an allergy pill. And I'm like, you, was it called cocaine? <laughs> and we've just never talked about that again, right? You know, the time my dad was casually going to murder my mom. Uh, by the way, I do understand, you have to be careful when you come up here. There's a lot of guys that do have done time or, or do stuff. You look like the guy that used to punch me in the face when we drank, by the way. I just have to get that out of the way. Like, just, like, we, I know you don't anymore, but you did. And, uh, and, uh, we'd be friends at, like, the beginning of the night, and then I'd have too many, and then I'd say the dumb thing, and you'd be like, I have to punch your face, and I'd be like, understandable. <laughs> uh, but people get up here that are tough or have a past, and they'll be like, yeah, and then I murdered that guy and never told anybody. Uh, just because we're AA and we have traditions doesn't mean the court cares about that. You will go to prison if you admit to crimes in Alcoholics Anonymous. Just so you're aware, that's my uh, disclaimer for the night. Uh, <laughs> I've heard so many people come up here and be like, and I never got caught. You're like, oh, you're about to. Uh, uh, And just to, to fast forward a little bit, and look, I you know I, I have a normal uh, uh, a pitch that I do, and I'm simply just not going to do it tonight. And um, you can write a letter to central office if that bothers you. But I, uh, you know, I, I do believe on some level also that Alcoholics Anonymous, and when we share, this should be like a fluid thing. And one of the things that I've noticed the longer I've been sober is that people come up here and they give you the same five to ten story points every time <laughs> bless you and it's in a program where we're like supposed to be like vulnerable and honest and like like i literally have heard people come up here and go i have no idea what i'm gonna say and then word for word do the same hour <laughs> that's fucking bananas <laughs> um and I think one of the reasons that I like speaking so much is because I do believe that it's really the only place in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, where it's this appropriate to share opinions. I try a lot to like keep my mouth shut when people that I'm working with are going through stuff. I, again, I want them to have that relationship with the higher power and they're going to figure it out or not figure it out through the steps. But I've learned that this program doesn't happen in lectures that I give you one-on-one -on -one anymore you know and I think being able to share my opinion at a group level is really valuable because I've heard people say things from the podium that have really inspired you know maybe a new outlook on this program and I also believe that that should always be changing and growing because it should speak to the fact that I'm changing and growing and so if my what it's like now is the same today as it was six years ago why would you want what I have? I'm full of shit. Um, 
And I also, you know, yeah, it says in a general way, but you know what? I make that connection point when you get specific with me. I make that connection point where you tell me where you were broken, how you were broken, what you did to be broken, not just what it felt like, but what did it really, really, really look like? You know, that moment where we're like staring at the wall and we have that stomach ache again and it was our fault, like that kind of stuff. And uh, so fast forward to this week, you know, I joked about it, but I did. I got fired from my job on uh, Thursday. And the cool thing about this program is I knew it was going to happen the whole time. Right. I wasn't. And, and I wasn't like, how could they do that? I was like, yeah, that's, that's understandable. <laughs> um, and not to get uh, too specific, just, you know, because I don't want to put anybody else on blast or anything like that. But, um, you know, I quit the job that I was at because of a financial issue and a financial insecurity. But I did a fear list on it, which we talk about. And I realized that I wanted to make some changes. Um, and so I did. And I knew from the beginning that the decision that I made was going to be uh, financially risky, um, but I was greedy and I wanted more money. Okay. And uh, I also was kind of sold a, a, a false, uh, you know, goods on what I was going to be doing and who I was going to be working for. And we know in the back of our heads, right? Like, it's like everybody in here that's like, I don't know why I keep dating guys that have been to prison. Yes, you fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> You knew. Um, they're not all bad. They're not all bad. <laughs> We're going to be auctioning you off at the end of this. <laughs> I'm just not saying all the things I'm thinking. <laughs> Newcomer kissing booth. <laughs> um... And so, yeah, I made this decision out of, you know, because I was greedy and I wanted something and it didn't go. But here's the good thing about the fearless. You write the fear, right? Is it real or is it imagined? And the fear was I could lose this job because I don't like what they're up to. And so I'm not willing to participate in certain things because they no longer align with my values. Is this fear real or imagined? Well, it's real, right? Because people don't really care about your values. Like you're either working or you're not working. Okay, well, if it's real, what do I do? Get prepared. So I started figuring out how to work other little odd jobs. I made money. I saved my ass off. I got frugal so that when I got let go, I had the exact amount of money that I would have made to get me through before I go on paternity leave when I have a kid, right? Being prepared is a wonderful, wonderful thing, you know? And what I've noticed and, and I think, Ryan, what you said really touched on it perfectly. In the worst of your, like, depravity, you're going to therapy three times a week. And I'm not knocking therapy. Therapy is great. I tell my sponsors to go to therapy all the time because I'm like, I'm not your fucking therapist. Right? Like, I have this set of skills. I can help you. You've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes. You probably owe me a copay at this point. Uh, <laughs> but like go get one. But I love that you're going to therapy three times a week. Cause to me, it just speaks to the fact that you're drinking, which is like selfish with everything that we know is going on. You have this kid and, and all this stuff and you're going to therapy, which what do you do at therapy? You talk about yourself. So you're going to talk about yourself for three times a week. 
you know? And, and the truth that nobody in here, I mean, we want to hear it and we get exhilarated by it, right? When we have talks like this, where it's like, look, you just got to go help people. You just got to go do the steps. I've done it. I sat there and I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meeting ends. I don't put the chairs away. I get in my car. I'm like, yeah, see you later. You know what I mean? None of this stuff means anything if we don't apply it after. Alcoholics Anonymous and the experience we have are lived outside of these rooms. We come in these rooms. I mean, originally they were designed because we would come in and we'd go, hey, this is what's working with new people. This is what's not working. How can we be more effective at helping the newcomer? Um, and so I, I started trying to get sober at like 17. Um, and... Uh, my mom was uh, in AA and uh, we have an interesting relationship. Um, it's funny, like people also love to come up. I feel like, and they, everything always seems to be with speakers. It's always like wrapped in a bow, right? Especially the relationships. I, I love, it's always like, I owed my dad $40,000 and then I went to his house and I made an amends and he bought me an airplane, <laughs> you know? And it's like, that's not my experience. I, uh, my relationship with my mom is still super tough because she's someone that uh, was in this program, is not in this program, has a shitload of time and weaponizes the stuff we do in here without working a program. And so you'll have a conversation and you'll, you'll be trying to get somewhere with her and she'll be like, well, I'm just going to have to third step that. And you're like, you don't work any of the steps. Right in my part, right, as a good alcoholic, it's like, well, I have to practice acceptance. This person is this person. But... I'll let you in on the fear. I'll get brutally honest with you tonight about the fear. The fear is that that's as good as my relationship with her will ever get. And then she's going to die. And I would pay a million dollars to hear her say the most annoying thing she ever said one more time. So how do we reconcile that? And so at 35 years old, I've agreed to go to couples counseling with my mother <laughs> <laughs> right yeah creepy <laughs> and of course i'm fucked up so i'm like i want to pretend we're married when we go in just like <laughs> i love mommy um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but here's the thing, like, and we also talk in these, like, absolutes, you know, about our secrets making us sick and people in here having a secret, right? Like, you all have several secrets. We all do. We have stuff, right? That's the nature of this thing in reality. And I was talking to my friend before this, and Really, I feel like there's two types of people that come in. It's either you have people that just can't admit how selfish and self-centered they are. <clears throat> like they're cured. I'm done with the drink. The drink's gone. I'm good to go. And that might be true. Those people might be hard drinkers. I mean, something that we also do in this program is we just assume that everybody walks through our doors and needs to be saved and is an alcoholic, right? I mean, the other reason is because you're the only one that can say you are. So if you say you are, I treat you like you are. But the truth is there are people that given sufficient reason, you know, ill health, falling in love, medical, whatever, they can just say, hey, I'm done. And I've known a lot of people that have done that. My dad was one of them. Um, 
but there's a lot of people that come in here and want that to be them. And they're usually, in my experience, the most selfish and self-centered people. And they don't see it. And you can't tell them because they live in a way where you're on emotional eggshells around them all the time because they're so uncomfortable to be around. I'm describing like two guys in the treatment center that are here probably and the other guys that are the roommates are like, yeah, that's fucking John. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do though. I see it all the time. And, and a lot of times in AA, I see it's like an older guy, right? And he's like, oh man, he's like, you know, those, uh, gosh, those heroin addicts, they really got it bad. I'm so glad that uh, all I ever did was, uh, you know, drink a fifth a day and throw my wife through the wall, <laughs> you know? And it's like, dude, you have this thing too right? And then the other side of it is the people that know they're selfish and self-centered, and they want to talk about how selfish and self-centered they are, but they don't want to do the actual work to become less selfish and self-centered, because there's a certain addiction to just talking about this stuff, right? Like, I get off on just the talking about it all the time, and when asked to take simple direction, I'm like, what? No, 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 can't we just, oh, let's talk about this a little bit more and uh you know i was definitely the latter when i first first came in at a young age you know and I, I just wanted to come in and i wanted to take that's the other thing it's you know there's this adage about uh you know recovery being a self it's a selfish program it says that nowhere your treatment center made that up When you're on a plane, you put the oxygen mask on and then you help other people, right? Well, how does that actually translate to us, I wonder? Because to me, it means, did you wake up sober? Well, then your oxygen mask is on. Look, and I know it says you can't transmit what you haven't got, but most of us, if you look around, all we really need is a shoulder to lean on. I don't really need that much from you other than you to be willing to help me. And I got to say, today was probably one of the better days in my sobriety in a long time. And the realization that I had was I've gotten to the point in sobriety where a lot of my commitments have started getting. They've given me too much ability to delegate tasks and not enough ability to just shut up and pick up the chairs. when I was at the Canyon Club today, and I'm just putting chives on bad chicken, <laughs> I'm like, this is where it's at. Like, this is service. And so I get frustrated when newcomers are like, I don't really know how to be of service. It's like, no, you don't really want to be of service. Because if you want something, there's pages in this book that describe the lengths you're willing to go to to get your way drunk or sober. You can be twice as kind the second time. You don't like that? Well, I'm going to throw a tantrum. You don't like that? I'm not going to talk to you. Or I'm going to harass you. I'm going to send you a thousand texts, right? We all know all this stuff because we do it all the time. If you really believe, and that was the thing for me, I didn't really believe, right? I didn't really believe that salvation was at the end of my hand reaching into yours. I did not believe that. I believed 
that it was like a means to an end. I was going to get everything I wanted. I was going to leave Alcoholics Anonymous and I could just look back like this was a phase I went through. If everybody in here that has, I'd say even less than three or four months, thought about the conversations that they've had with loved ones in the last week, how much of them were about positioning yourself to get you something that you want? And how many times did you go out of your way to make sure that you were making someone else have a good day? And not because you were going to get something in return in the long run, but just because it was the right thing to do and you believed it would make you feel happy and purposeful. That was my experience when I finally landed here, right? After being in and out for five or six years and putting myself in a position where I had to live in sober living for a year, right? Nobody made me. The decisions that I made out of self put me in a position where I was not emotionally capable of having freedom because I was a loser. <laughs> and the cool thing about this is that the people with less time show me things about myself all the time. If you hadn't texted me today, I just absolutely would not be here. And that's why I love us, because we're different. You're the 60% that shows up no matter what, and you drive a forklift. I'm a guy that wears pink shirts and looks for an easy way out. <laughs> Right? It's a fact. But we both have an undeniable desire to help the next person and a willingness to understand that my mind is constantly trying to play tricks on me. But yeah, if you hadn't asked me to be here, I would have been like, I don't know, it's drizzling pretty hard out. <laughs> what if the wind knocks a tree down? You know what I mean? I was really like ready. I was in a meeting the other day and I'm like so full of resentment about something and my sponsee starts to share and he starts to talk about that other column and the four step where we say the sick man prayer, right? Where we say, God, this is a sick person. Save me from being angry. How can I be useful? And I hadn't heard anything the whole meeting, right? Cause I was preparing to share at this person. I'm like going through the book. I'm like, yeah, I'll hit him. I'll hit it with a paragraph from acceptance is the answer. And then I'll say that. And it wasn't you by the way, Tim. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, was someone else. Um, and, but I, you know what I mean? You ever do those shares where you're just like, I'm going to share right at this part. You know what I mean? And so I'm like getting ready and then, and I don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden I just hear, God, this is a sick person. Save me from being angry. How can I be useful? And I just start to laugh. Because I'm like, there's the answer again. I'm just so consumed with self that I don't even realize what I've done to myself for the billionth time. And I'll do it again. You got to understand too, like I believe we wake up every day just as much full of self as we did the day before. And we simply get the chance to get to that place where we're not again, if we do the spiritual maintenance, right? That can be really hard sometimes. 
Because every time still my brain convinces me or gives me a pass and says it's not self this time. It's not self this time. And Dr. Paul talks about it. My rights start to creep in. It's not self this time. This time it's you, and here's why I can tell you why. And to the point where I'm gone. And that's why, like, later in that story by Dr. Paul, he talks about this idea of um, what can I give to the meeting, not what can I take out of it. It's so easy to show up here and complain. It's much harder to just show up and be of service and try to be helpful and try to contribute things to the meeting. And uh, it's funny when you watch that click for people, when you watch this idea of spirituality click for people and you see it change. I remember years ago, I was working at a treatment center and someone told this girl, she was from like Virginia or something. They told her, they're like, yeah, like every time you do a good act of service, like you get a spiritual dollar. And uh, it's like later that night and some girl wants to be nice. And so she's like unloading the dishwasher and the girl from Virginia sees her doing it. And she goes, Hey, stop that. Those are my spiritual dollars, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I think of that like all the time. I want to read something. We talk a lot about uh, the promises in here. And I think sometimes, I mean, myself included, um, I don't always understand what do they actually mean? What are we talking about? It's a really nice, inspiring thing to read at the end of the meeting. But it says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, So to me, painstaking means I really tried at something, right? If something was painstaking, it probably wasn't that easy. And so one of the things that I've done in the past where I see new people do is you give them step work to do and they don't take it seriously. Or you call them and you're like, hey, did you write that thing? And they're like, I have it memorized. And it's like, oh, so you you think about yourself 11 of the 12 hours a day you're awake, but you couldn't spend 40 minutes putting pen to paper to write about it, to get better from it. We will be amazed before we are halfway through. So steps four and five, right? We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. So I love the freedom part because it's like freedom from what? Freedom from the bondage of self. And then that, the, the cool thing is that when I get more free, I realize that it's just to be of better service to you. And I continue. You can whisper something to him. It's okay. <laughs> I saw you wait. <laughs> uh, you get more free from yourself because it's what you want to do. We're not going to regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. That's a huge one. And I think the important part there is the true past. What really happened to you? Because I see a lot of people come in here with some very obvious made up stories. And it's like, why don't you just tell us the truth about the shame you felt because you were also a loser like all of us. 
you don't have to like impress us. Like we sucked too. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. I think about that a lot. I mean, those are those moments you get. For me in here, it's like, you ever have those moments and you just say to yourself, like, how did I get here? In a good way. Because I used to have them all the time in a bad way, right? How did I get here? How did I end up like this? And I would just be like a day where I noticed that it's like nice out and I'm present enough to be like, how did I get here? No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see that our experience can benefit others. That one's huge for me. And that's why I believe I continue to tell the full truth about my life as it is today. And I don't want to give a, a, a misconception. I'm way better than I used to be in my behavior. I still make mistakes all the time. Um, but you can ask any one of my friends in here, like, I will show up for you if you need me. I'm a person of my word, like all that stuff that I absolutely couldn't be. And, and the reason that I make that distinction is because I don't want to give the impression that I'm just up here unhealed and I'm like, yeah, I'm crazy now and I act out of my defects all the time and you should too. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I know that you're going through what I'm going through, which is selfish and self-centeredness. There is a way to fix it. And it's okay to be honest about how that continues to manifest in action. We will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. It's a pretty big implication. It says that I felt useless. I know the self-pity part. And I love the idea that self-pity is a form of selfishness because I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm not able to be of service to you. Right? And the only definition of humility I've heard that I ever liked is that it's not thinking less of myself. It's just thinking of myself less. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. To me, that reminds me of just the other part in the book where it talks about, do I want to be a producer of chaos or harmony? Because for a long time, it wasn't that I wanted to be a producer of chaos. It's just all that I ever seemed to be able to throw into the world. Because my sense of self and selfishness, when I tried to get things, it didn't work out because frankly, I wasn't that good at it. I was okay. But I usually only did it in a way where I stepped on your toes and then you later retaliate. And so it's this idea that now I'm useful. And, and yeah, I'm going to make mistakes, but if I see what I can pack into the stream of life, things tend to get infinitely better. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. That's my favorite one. Not being afraid of people. That's huge. Do you know how taken aback the HR department was when they fired me the other day and I was smiling and asking them how their day had been going? They're like, are you going to pull out a gun? Because <laughs> I said to her, I go, look, I'm sure this is really uncomfortable for you and it really has nothing to do with you. Like, I'm sorry, this has to be like by far the toughest part of your day. And she's like, oh my God, you're right, it is. I'm not afraid of people anymore. 
And if I'm open about who I am and what I'm trying to be, what's the worst that you're going to do? Tell me the truth about myself that I already know and I already tell everybody anyway. Good luck. And the, the economic insecurity thing's funny. It comes and goes. We all have it. It's money. It's so powerful. It's such a powerful drug. It's such an easy way to get people to do things with money, right? To like you, to whatever. I get it. But the spurts that I have of not being insecure about money are wonderful. And I'll tell you, the prayer I often say when I'm in pain is because of financial insecurity. And whenever it happens, I always say, God, please put someone in my path to help. I'm really scared about money right now. And it's a, such a trip. Like, try this out because I have made tons of prayers over the years, right? And a lot of them have been based on self. Like, God, please let this thing work out. Let me get this job. Let me get this girl, right? But when I say, God, please put someone in my path to help, the phone like rings, like, right. It's crazy. Like try it. I do believe that when we actually pray to be of service to someone else, because it is a prayer that God can answer. It happens. immediately. We will intuitively know how to handle situations, which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So intuitively, handling situations that used to baffle us. For me, that was my entire life, right? And how do you get to the position maybe some of you are sitting in now to those promises, right? Like what's that blueprint? And this is what I'll close with. says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. Big book, page 77. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. Big book, page 20. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. Big book, page 15. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Page 97. Your job now is to be at the place where you may be a maximum helpfulness to others. Page 102. Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Page 124. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Page 89. Why do you think the newcomer is the most important person in the room? Because it's the only thing that's going to give me purpose and save my life. I love you. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Dylan, I'm still not giving you a ride home. Thank you, Tim. Have a great night. <laughs>